So at this stage, we can taste something of the power of God when we're a paid on. But the more you grow in God and the stronger you become, the stronger the warfare becomes. And the warfare has to get stronger because God is building champions, he's building warriors, he's building people who cannot be overcome. He's building people who have the very nature and character and life of God within them who aren't scared of anything. There's nothing out there that frightens them. The only thing that frightens them is losing God. Anything else is small by comparison. I'm more afraid of God than anything else. It's called getting your fear in the right place. Fear God and you won't fear anything else. Jesus said if you're going to be scared of anybody, be scared of the one who can take your soul. These boys had given up. They tasted the high thing. It's an unwritten spiritual law. If you taste the high things, you have to taste the depths as, as well. You have to see God is in both places. So there's no pit that he's not deeper still. There's no difference. God is God and they had yet to learn this. If I ride on the wings of the morning or you go to the depths of the sea, you're there, isn't it? That's Psalm 139. Success and failure are imposters. We don't live in success and we don't live in failure. We live in the heart of God and he doesn't change. So whether you are having success or whether failure is the companion you're walking with, there's no difference in the heart of God towards you. He loves you just as much when you get it right uh, and as he does when you blow it and get it wrong. He never, ever, ever changes the way. He is towards you. I don't live for success. That doesn't mean I don't want to be successful and it doesn't mean that I don't want to excel in what I'm doing because I want to be the very best. I want to be excellent at what God's called me to be. And I don't want to live in failure but I'll taste both of those things because Paul says, doesn't he, I know how to abound and I know how to be abased but I don't want to live in either place. I want to live in the heart of God every day under his smile because he never changes. So whether we're in success or in failure, as Graham would say, who gives a rip? We're living in the heart of God. Paul says, I am content. I can be in both places, but I don't have to live there. He lived in the heart of God. And God says, I, the Lord, change not. So if I'm going through a hard time, I want to bless God. If I'm going through a really good time, I want to bless God. And you can't do that if you're gripped by your circumstances. If your happiness depends on what happens, you are of all men most miserable. You know, I've been through that before. Happiness depends on what happens, and that's to do with your soul. Joy is a choice, and pleasure is physical. You know, nice hot bath and nice bun, cup of tea, pleasure, physical. Happiness, circumstantial, depends on what happens, but joy is a choice. You can choose to be joyful in the darkest place. There's only one constant place in the universe, and that is in the person of God himself. And that's where the Holy Spirit wants us to live. Some Christians, when the pressure is really on, like the disciples, go back to what they know, just like Peter and the boys. There were two trees in the garden, the tree of knowledge, of good and evil, and the tree of life. And when the pressure's on, we go back to the tree of what we know. We know what we can be good at, but it isn't the tree of life. We always go back to what we know, and the Holy Spirit wants us to feed continually off the tree of life. The word that God gives us now gives life to us, otherwise we go back to what we know, and that's always diminishing in terms of our faith and experience. You know, when you had your children, whenever they weren't well, I don't know whether it was, I'm sure it was like it for you, they would seem to be younger. They'd revert. If they were seven, they'd go back to being a five-year-old. There was like this fallback happens when they're not well. And in spiritual terms, we do that too sometimes. Under pressure, we go back to what we know. But the Holy Spirit wants us under pressure to stand and eat from the tree of life. So here these boys went back to what they knew and Jesus called them children. Paid on in understanding. Don't be half formed in your understanding because maturity depends on knowing the ways of God. 
Isaiah 55, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. And we've got to get this. Guys, you've got to grow up to think that I'm thinking and act like I'm acting. In malice, be babies, but in understanding, be mature. So the characteristics of this level, the characteristics of this level are very often uh, is a lack of understanding of God's ways. We want to give up and go back when things get tough because we can't always see God at work. And sometimes too, in difficult situations, we're more preoccupied with ourselves than with what God is actually doing. So it's at this point that you need a philosophy of life to hold you into the things that you believe so that you don't live by what you see or by what you feel. You live it by the Word of God and the philosophy of that Word that the Holy Spirit puts into your heart. Graham again, <coughs> heard him say this one. Some Christians don't have the philosophy to cover a pinhead. He says their philosophy is so little there's still room enough on the top of the pin for two angels to waltz. <laughs> it's quite naughty sometimes. So a good bit of philosophy is that God allows in his wisdom what he could easily prevent by his power. To see the wisdom of God you have to stand still and wait. You have to stand in the day of trouble because that's what the Bible's all about, the day of trouble. God says, I will come to you in it. In trouble we have to stand still. And most of us get a day of trouble and we're running off in the opposite direction because we want mama. We're crying out, I'm suffering. In the day of trouble, God comes. So you learn to stand still, no matter how painful it gets, stay there and wait. Stand still and you'll get wisdom to see what God is doing. And when you see the wisdom of God, you'll understand the ways of God and faith will rise in you to do what God's asking you to do. Otherwise you are preoccupied with yourself and what you feel and everything else. Sometimes too, like the Pharisees here at this stage, the Paidon stage, there is an arrogance and an unteachability and sometimes not very much grace in operation. There can be real flashes of maturity in this age range, but there's an inconsistency too. And sometimes people just settle at a lower level. This is one of the predominant signs of this age group, that people settle for less. You see it in Matthew 17 at the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter sees Jesus in all his glory and he says, hey, let's build a tent. In other words, let's stay here. This has got to be it. We've arrived. This is the ultimate. It's the pinnacle. Let's build a tent, establish a tabernacle, stay in this place. But God had so much more, didn't he? There's always that thing in our hearts that there's a place to reach where we are going to stay. And that is not true. We carry on growing and growing and growing because God is so huge, so immense, we are never going to get to the bottom of him in this life, so we have to keep on going. And we never will in the next, incidentally. And moving and moving towards God. There is actually no place to settle. So we're not settlers, we're pioneers, always. We're always moving on, there's always uncharted territory, there's always something new to discover, there's always something more the bigness and the love and the grace and the mercy and the power of God, the anointing of God for us to discover in life. Situations that we encounter are designed to help us come into the experience of those things, not to keep us out. So there are flashes of maturity at this level. But sometimes we end up settling for the good, which is the enemy of the best. And sometimes we don't break through because we don't actually press in. What so often happens is that we hear something new and our hearts aspire to it, but we don't have the discipline to actually press through into that place in God. And believe me guys, it's the D word. So if you're recognising yourself already having looked at these stages and stages, 
the three that we've looked at, the Nepios, the Technion and now the Paidon. Don't get depressed. We just have to recognise where we are. Then we can understand what the Holy Spirit wants to do with us. God just wants to show us where we are and having shown us that, he wants to say, now this, understand this is what I want for you. You have to hear him, find out what he wants for you. If you can understand where you are, you can understand where you're going. And the objective of this teaching is not to depress you, it's to help you see where you are so you can have the joy of seeing where you are and where you're going in the things of God. It gives you something to aim at rather than, as I said early on, aiming at nothing, you're bound to hit it. And sometimes people at this level are people who can do a few things. We can pray, we can witness, we know how to help others, we've got a measure of gifting, but we know in our hearts that something is not fully formed in us and we're looking for something more. And we don't want to blow hot and cold. So hopefully, around this stage, many of us are actually frustrated to death with ourselves. Frustration is a friend and not an enemy. You're only frustrated because you care. And the frustration itself is a sign that God is at work. He's got a divine dissatisfaction going inside you about where you are. If ever you're content where you are, you've missed something somewhere. So when God is going to extend you, he gets you frustrated with where you are so the frustration is actually geared to helping you press through. Get frustrated and excited, don't get frustrated and fed up. But of course as always there's two things that work and in the frustration the enemy wants to get you depressed about where you are so you'll stop and go away from what God wants. He loves it with Christians who run in the opposite direction to God when God wants to deal with them takes three weeks for them to actually get there and get into his presence. He's just working and holding hands with the enemy doing that because he's slowing you down all the time because he knows God's got a goal for your life and if he can hold you back at any stage in any way, brilliant, got you. But your frustration is actually geared so that the Holy Spirit can bring in that sense of excitement about what God is wanting to do next. You're only frustrated because he's working in you, so be excited. God's brought you to this place. You're disillusioned with yourself, and disillusioned with, with yourself is always the forerunner of real, fresh growth in God. So this really proves to you that God's at work in you, because the opposite of all this is apathy. Apathetic people don't care. They know they aren't this, but they don't care and they don't want it. It's very difficult to work with apathetic people. They're indifferent, they're apathetic, they couldn't give it to us. And fr frust but frustrated people are frustrated because we care and we want something. So frustration is a real sign of the Holy Spirit actually at work. So here we come to the huios. This is the stage we all hopefully wanting to get to and it's the final stage and it means a fully mature son not half baked or half done or half finished uh, again this isn't a reference to maturity in age or years it's a reference to the development of our spiritual inner man in life maturity comes through our experience our accumulated wisdom and knowledge in the spiritual realm it comes through three ways via God's dealing with us on a personal level and those three ways are obedience, faithfulness and our response to discipline. Hebrews 5.8 says that Jesus learnt obedience by the things that he suffered and we have to get it into our mindset that suffering is a part of our life. We are called to suffer for the person of Jesus and it's not necessarily physical. There's all kinds of suffering that we can come into um, and most often it is not a physical thing so we have to get our minds into gear that things will happen that will cause us to need to break through and God will use that to bring us into a greater and greater anointing it isn't the blessings in my life that have brought me into any revelation it is my capacity 
for dealing with difficult situations and you can call it suffering when it comes along how I've responded to it and Graham's teaching if I had not been sitting under this teaching for the last 12 or however many years I'll be in a very different place because this man just shows you how to walk the walk and if you put it into practice you see it becoming flesh on you the girls were talking about gel for the hair out there weren't yeah. you and we were saying if you left the gel on the shelf it's not going to shape or form your hair it's going to do no good in the tube and what God was showing Gina I believe is that the word of God has to go into her every day so that it shapes and forms her if it doesn't go in her every day her hair's going to stay fl fluffy she's not going to be able to do a thing with herself because she isn't feeding on on the word of God you cannot get around it and you cannot uh, forget it or leave it or ignore it and think you'll grow just the same because you can't so it's in that place of suffering that God begins to trust you because he knows your heart is after him no matter what you suffer he knows that your heart is still after him and that is what he's looking to see Paul's prayer in Philippians 3.10 was that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering for a long time all I could pray was that I might know you Lord and the power of your resurrection and I left the other bit out because I didn't want to pray that he had to bring me to the place where I could actually pray the false thing nothing quite so powerful as praying the scriptures those of you who know me know that I pray um, Hebrews 12 1 and 2 every morning I present my body a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God which is my reasonable service and I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind that I might test and approve what's that good acceptable and perfect will of God for me Romans 12. the only sorry Romans 12. Romans 12 sorry anyway I showed you how well I know it don't read it in the morning know where it came from <laughs> Romans 12 one <laughs> two correction correction um, so I pray that every morning as I pray Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 and I think it's somewhere around Proverbs 16 where he says commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established is it 16 or 17? so either 16, 3 or 17, 3 something like that because, and that's a quick one we throw up every now and again Joyce and I 16, 3 um, Father we just commit our works to you that our thoughts will be established having done that when you're going out to do anything buy something or whatever you know he's going to lead you otherwise if you're us you stand there and saying well which one do you want us to get getting in a tizzy so pray the scriptures very powerful and Paul knew he couldn't have one without the other you can't have the power without the suffering no cross no crown it just you cannot have it because God comes to us in suffering in ways he doesn't come to us in blessing and he comes to us in wartime in a way he doesn't come to us in peacetime God is too big a personality to stay in one kind of situation I can remember when I was hard up against it with people bandy around the Jezebel spirit I mean you hear it popping up everywhere but very few people have actually seen one in action and there was someone with whom I worked that had a full-blown Jezebel spirit and she was sitting where you are Mary and I was sitting over where Elaine is this particular night and it was all coming out and holy, I heard God laugh and he said <laughs> will you look at that <laughs> and there is nothing quite like hearing the chuckle of God when it's all spouting it out there in the corner I mean and I just inside I grinned I kept my face together but inside I grinned uh, when you come into warfare you know there's a lot of nonsense talked about it you know when you're in it so there's a God of blessing and there's a God of suffering and you need to know him in both ways and we need to experience God in all his fullness but Hebrews 2 9 says but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he might by the grace of God taste death for everyone and it goes on to say that he was bringing many sons and that's the word huios to, to make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering so his aim and goal for us all is sons and it's only to sons uh, that the full power of God 
is, is given. Many sons into glory. And we come into maturity through testing. Don't like it. Every man or woman of God has to spend time in solitary confinement. Somewhere in your life there will be a period in your life where it will be you and God. And the people around you will un misunderstand you. They may misunderstand what's happening to you. Uh, there may be times when God will be nailing something in your life and you will not be enjoying it, but you will be enduring it. The cross is not a place to enjoy, it's a place to endure for the joy set before us. The only enjoyment is seeing where the suffering is going to take you. God, I just want to die. That's good because I'm trying to kill you. So, as I said before, God and the devil have both got the same agenda. They both want to kill you, but God has resurrection in mind. So everyone has a desert place where they are proved in God. If you look at the significant characters in the Bible, they all spent some time in the wilderness and all of us have to go through a desert. And if you're going through a desert, just make sure you only go through it once. Learn the lesson. Every Canaan is preceded by the wilderness. If you're going to come into your inheritance as a place, and the desert is a wonderful place, you can enjoy it because it's the place where of no distraction. There's nothing to see and there's nothing to do, just one grain of sand after another. And God has to get us to a place where we are not distracted by events, by our ministry, we're not distracted by anything. We're focused on the person of God himself. So that's the first area. The second area of God's dealings there is faithfulness. Read the book of Nehemiah. It's a rooted around that whole thing of faithfulness. Nehemiah 7.2 said he gave charge of rebuilding Jerusalem to Hananiah because he was a faithful man. <coughs> Excuse me. And he feared God more than most. Two things going together there. You have to get the fear of God right. That's missing in the church these days too. A, a reverent fear and awe and respect of God. At the same time it runs hand in hand with the love of the Father, but you need the two. Nehemiah 9.8 and Nehemiah 13.13 13, you'll see the same thing. I'll just give you a string of scriptures here. Proverbs 20 verse 6 Daniel 6 verse 4, Matthew 25, 21, Luke 16, 10 and 12. That's why service is a prerequisite for ministry. That's where you prove out your faithfulness. Anybody who wants a ministry has to go through service and servanthood in the body of Christ itself. We were talking last night, wasn't I? Not we, I, about the way God brought us into this. We didn't know when we were serving at Paddock Wood, serving the people. It was really funny me with my penny and my little notebook on the end of a piece of string taking the orders because I could never remember between the garden and the kitchen what anybody had ordered. So I had to end up with this piece of thing on the string. I didn't realise that I was actually working out, serving. No idea. God just got us doing it, thoroughly enjoyed it, wore ourselves out. Lovely. So anybody who wants a ministry has to go this service and servanthood route first. Because if you can't be faithful in that, you're not going to be faithful in what God's going to give you. If you can't be faithful in what belongs to other people, you can't be faithful in what he'll give you for yourself. Graham Cook says that uh, if God won't give you money unless he can push it through you. That's really interesting. They'll give you money when you won't hold on to it. They'll give you money when he can push it through you. But first, he's got to be able to push it through you so that you don't hold it for yourself. What do you want, give, what do you want done with this then, Lord? I don't want any money. don't want money hanging around my neck. What do you want done with it? Where do you want to put it? So the evidence that you're ready for ministry is faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 4.2, worth looking up. Oops, upside down. Uh, 
he's talking about servants and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. It's found God trusts us. We, he tests us so that he might trust us. And you never know when you're going through a, a test of faithfulness or trust. 1 Timothy 1.12 Paul talking about because he counted me faithful. 2 Timothy 2.2 Commit these same things to faithful men. You may look at someone and think, in my position here, I think maybe God, Father, that's someone you want me to pass the baton on to. Wait. Prove them out in their faithfulness. Many people have come through this door, like in the ministry that they see. Many people have come and I've thought maybe it's going to be them. But God is now saying to me, just wait. Prove them out in their faithfulness. They won't know. I won't know. But that is, we have to be proved faithful. He won't give us to look after his lambs. They are far too precious if we've got any other agenda than his faithful men. Hebrews 3.1 Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him. God doesn't measure time. He measures growth always. He doesn't measure success by the results that we obtain. He measures success by the faithfulness that we display. God does not measure things the same we do, way we do. Look at we look at the person, the things they've achieved and their success, and we say, "Well, that is success." God doesn't do that. He does it by faithfulness. Ezekiel chapters two and three, and he says to Ezekiel, "I'm sending you to prophesy to people, and they aren't going to listen to a blind word you say." They'll never listen to you. That's a good start. So how do you measure his success? Right at the start of his ministry, I'm sending you to people who won't listen. How do you measure it? For, you measure that for over 20 years, this man prophesied his heart out when he knew right at the beginning he would not be listened to. He knew they'd go into exile. He knew they were rebellious. He knew they were disobedient and God told him that right at the start that aim's not going to take any notice of you. That is the kindness of God. Imagine if Zeke hadn't known. What would that have done to him? But instead, out of his great kindness, God says, Zeke, this is what it's going to be like. Are you up for this? This is what it's going to be like. But how do you measure his success? How do you measure Jesus' success? They all left him and he got crucified. What sort of success would we call that these days? So the third thing and the least like one is our response to discipline. Hebrews 12.5, one of the least liked chapters in the Bible. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens and deals with you as sons, not Nepios, not Technion, not Pidon, but Huios he's talking about here. He's dealing with you as a son. Every one of us is going to be disciplined by the Lord because discipline is a key part of who we are as, as God, the people of God and without it we can't become weos. We cannot become mature sons that God wants us to be. Mature sons are in subjection to God. They are partakers of his holiness. They have a, a fruit of righteousness in their life They've been trained by discipline and suffering into holy obedience. And that's where God is taking us in our life. So there are four responses to personal discipline. The nepios, the little baby, gets angry. They react in the flesh to circumstances or they run away from the truth. The technion will misunderstand God's dealings. They'll treat it as demonic. They'll blame it on the devil or people around them. They'll end up taking authority over God for what he's doing. A pageon, a half-grown, may accept it, but they'll accept it in self-pity. Poor me. They might actually understand what's happening, but they'll be sorry for themselves and they'll be wanting to draw attention to it. Poor me. God's just trying to teach me through things. But they're actually looking for a way out. 
The worst thing you can do is endure it and not change. Go through the circumstance and not be changed and you'll have to go through it all, all over again. So you have to kiss your brains goodbye to, to do that. You might as well change as much as you can because you don't want to go through it again. So my little ditty is, I want to grow through this father, I do not just want to go through it. So you find yourself in a circumstance and immediately, I want to grow through this Lord, not just go through it. Because if I go through it, I go through it again and again and again and again and again. So a fully mature person comes to the point when at times like that the first thing they want to do is to kneel down and kiss the hand that hurts. To tell him that they love him. They accept things gratefully because they know that the cross has to work in our life. We're able to see the cross in things and apply it to ourselves. They're able to submit to God's control over their lives. Their attitude is, Lord, show me, teach me your way, teach me your paths, see if there is any wicked way in me, show me, shine your light on me, be ruthless with me, deal with me severely. I copied that prayer from um, Rick Joyner. Be ruthless with me, deal with me severely. I used to say, um, you know, that the one... Um, Search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me and make me clean. Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. I ask for God's discipline. I ask for him to show me because I don't see any point in running off like a like a wayward child or dog or something and then having to have him pull me way, 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 way back. Do you know the one single thing as far as I observe it in the body of Christ is lack of submission to the Lordship of Christ. That's why when I did the whole thing about leadership and submission, to my amazement, it was Leaning on the Beloved, was the title that God wanted me to give it, because it is submission to Him. And that is the hardest thing, because our fallen nature is shot through with rebellion. When we acknowledge to ourselves that I am a rebellious person, I don't like being corrected. I don't like people telling me what to do. Who do they think they are? And indeed, who do you think you are, Lord, telling me to do that? Well, I just happen to think I'm Lord. But he's so kind. He takes us the easiest way we will come. I think I'll come to it in a minute. We govern the speed at which we move, and that is scary. So if it's been taking you 25 years to get where you are, it's not God. So when we come into adverse circumstances, Lord of anything that is there be, that's being said, I mean many things have been said to me about me and all this, learn from Graham. You go to God and you say, Father, is there a grain of truth in this? Everything in you might be rising up. I'm thinking flipping sauce. Okay, Lord. And I used to say to him, with as much sincerity as I can muster, Father, will you show me, which meant it wasn't much, but I was prepared to be told. You know that people are mature because they have mature relationships around them and who, people who can tell them the truth at times like that. Then we can submit to God and we can resist the devil. Because number one is that you can't take ground from the devil if he's got ground in you. A huios is a fully mature son who can be trusted. And in Israel there's a ceremony that takes place when a son's grown up enough to be trusted by the father and it's called the ceremony of adoption. As the son is growing up, the father gives them little tasks and things to do and more difficult things to do to determine how trustworthy they are. So he's got a family of boys, let's say, all different ages. So he tests them to see how faithful they are in stressful situations, to see how much they will be truthful, open and honest in difficult situations. He examines their character for truth, integrity and a servant heart and gives them tough things to do and make them grow tough. Does this person keep going in tough times? When a son has been fully tested like that, there is what's called the ceremony of adoption. And the father takes the son into the village square and he puts him on this little platform that is built, calls the whole town together 
and declares, this is my son who is trusted. And that is the ceremony of adoption. This is my trusted son, this is my huios. From this day when he speaks, it's as though I am speaking. If he signs a cheque or makes a deal, it's as though I'm doing it. His word is my word, he acts for me. From that time on, the whole community has to treat that person totally differently. Suddenly, he is as his father is. So you can see this adoption is not the same as we understand it. My son is my adopted boy, but that is not this. Sometimes you hear t preachers teaching we have been adopted in the way that we understand, and it's rubbish. Because mm. we've actually been born from above. God is our real father because we have the divine nature within us. There is no way that we've been adopted in the way that we understand it in the West. Maybe if we realise more fully how real God's fatherhood of us is, we wouldn't be so slow, slow to, to draw close to him and obey him. I know that for some people, real fathers were less than good, but here is a father that you can trust and love without fear. That's why it's so important we get to know his attributes and who he really, really is and what he's really like. If it was possible to be adopted by God in the natural way, we wouldn't need to be born again. We are twice born. We're born once from below and once from above. And the reason we're born again is that God won't have that form of relationship. He wants us fully his, real children, not just legal children. So the whole thing of adoption in scripture is the promotion of a son who is trustworthy. And Romans 8.14 tells us, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, the huios of God. The Spirit himself bears witness that we are the children, technon, that word, growing children in God. So the whole point of the work of the Holy Spirit is to take us from the place of saying Daddy to Father. When he says Abba, Father, he's describing the journey from baby to fully mature son, from Nepios to Huios. That's our journey. So welcome to, to the journey. The spirit of adoption is what God wants to bring into our life. Those who are led constantly by the Spirit of God, only they can be called the Huios. So there are two types of believer. There are babies, technons, the children. We're all children of God, but we may not all be sons. The son is characterized in a way that is completely different from the child. Because it says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the Huios. And Galatians 4.1 says, The heir, as long as he's a child, doesn't differ from a slave, though he's master of all, until the time appointed by the father. That time that he's talking about there is the ceremony of adoption, that we might receive the adoption of huios, sons. The activity of the Holy Spirit is always to bring us to that place where God can separate us out and then we come into a completely different level of anointing. It is at that point you become an heir of God. You are no longer a slave, but a son. If a huios, then you are an heir of God through Christ. Journey, process. There are so many believers are wanting to get into their inheritance, but the only way you can come into your inheritance is by allowing God to do the full work in you so that you come to that place where you are adopted in that ceremony and God begins to call you by a different name. We receive the spirit of adoption. We are immature believers needing guardians and helpers until the time appointed by the Father. A baby can't inherit. We can't inherit from God until we're at that place of maturity where things start to flow into our lives. So the proving and the testing ground is so that God can release the spirit of adoption into us. And our conduct gives evidence of the dignity of our relationship with God and our likeness to his image. In Luke 6.35 Jesus says, Love your enemies, do good and lend, 
hoping for nothing in return, and you will be called sons, huios of the highest. See how our language just doesn't show you what's actually going on. Everything in your life is to see whether you are a trusted son or not. That's why it's important that we don't fail the test that God is giving us. People want recognition and big ministries, but I tell you now, you will not receive this without the adoption ceremony. This is where Adam failed. He was given the job in the garden to see if he was fit to rule the earth. He didn't make it. Jesus spent 30 years in carpentry before he entered his ministry. The problem is we live in this instant society. We want it now and we don't want any pain or suffering attached to it. But in Matthew 3, Jesus here by the waters of baptism, what did God say? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When he was, what he was saying there was, when he speaks, I speak, he is my huios. That was his ceremony of adoption in the public place, the recognition of who he was. And what did Jesus say? I only do what my father is doing. I only say what my father is saying. He's just showing forth the whole adoption business. Maybe in the realm of the Spirit there's a ceremony of adoption that the Holy Spirit is crying out to give each one of us. Because it's where you come into real anointing and power and the real favour of God. And the Holy Spirit is wanting to give us that and bring us to that place where we're grown up enough, where God actually has that ceremony in the heavenlies, like a rite of passage, a point in your life where the favour of God cascades into your life and you come into a completely different level of anointing. So the Holy Spirit is bringing us from that place of Abba, Daddy, to the mature place of Father. I only do what the Father is doing. I only say what the Father is saying. And you say with him, my meat and drink is to do the will of him who sent me. You're a trusted son. It happened twice in the life of Jesus, once at the beginning at the waters of baptism and again on the Mount of Transfiguration, God said the same thing. <laughs> Shut Peter up, didn't it? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Hear him. There are different levels of anointing and power in our life that God will speak over us and um, to bring us into a different realm. And from that time on in Matthew 3, everything Jesus did was in direct response to his Father. A huios is one who does exactly what the Father says. Those who are led by the Spirit are the huios of God. And the Bible says, interestingly enough, that the whole earth is waiting for this, the revealing of the huios of God. It is not waiting for the revealing of the church. It's not waiting for the revealing of Christians. It is waiting for the revealing of the mature ones. The champions, those who have the seal of approval of God on their lives, those who have come into that place of favour, and the earth is waiting for those people who will live their lives under God's rule and are trusted by him. My prayer is that we can do in these days teach people, move them from that baby stage into full maturity. Though I am in that, in that process myself, my heart cries out to see mature sons because I see the immaturity of the body and that's not a criticism because they have not. God is doing a new thing. I want this thing. I'm, if you like, frustrated I want to be a champion and produce champions because you know you reproduce after your own seed. This is why I say with things that are happening in the church, the leaders cannot take them further than they have gone themselves. And if you have a leadership who have not moved in 25 years, they can't take you any further. So the flock are overtaking them. A bit like my son on the hunt that time overtook the hunt master and it was not the done thing. But he didn't know shot straight past, he's here, see, we do do that. So he got ticked off for doing that, it wasn't proper. 
wasn't wasn't the behaviour, you know, he went off after the hounds and but this is what is actually happening in the body of Christ because the leaders in a lot of places have just come to a, an absolute grinding halt. It's like the body of Christ are jumping over them. Like little lambs hopping over the fence. Because God is releasing other places where they're getting fed, where they're growing, where they're understanding, where they're actually cared for and encouraged to grow. I don't care if you go further and I want you to go further and faster than I do. I want you to come in where I end so that when I go off this mortal coil you'll be at the level where I go and you'll go commensurately much higher and further. That is my whole, that's my whole desire that God has put in my heart is to get people quickly into the place that I am and then give them a shove to go further. I would be upset if you outdo me in character because I think that would be bad for me <laughs> but you're absolutely at liberty to say to me yeah, you slipped up there you know yeah, no. pray for me please you know but that is my my heart's desire is to see people producing champions mighty men mighty women of God it's time for us to rise up who are going to rule in the heavenly places. And we need to understand what that rule means. We need to be able to up there, releasing onto earth, proclaiming and declaring what God wants to do, instead of in a place of pleading constantly to be let out. No, 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 I want to be up there doing the releasing of it. Do you remember Graham talking about it? He's pleading and pleading and pleading. As the man said, that he was in Scotland, wasn't he? And he says, oh, but um, Sonny, I don't think there's any more dust left in that carpet. They've been face down, hammering the carpet, you know, pleading with God and the clouds of dust were coming up. I don't think there's any more dust left in that carpet. And God said to, to Graham when everything went quiet, what are you doing? Well, um, I'm asking you to open a window in heaven, Father. Why don't you come up here and open it yourself? <laughs> Yes. So my whole way of praying about things just over the last six months has completely changed. I find out what God wants to, to do in the situation. I pray it. Everything is done up there before I come down here. I ask, he says, what do you want from this? And I tell him what I want. I've told him what I wanted from this school. And I said, don't let me miss anything, Lord, because my vision is very narrow compared with yours. So I asked him for what I wanted and then let him work it out. My expectation is that there will, be, there will have been breakthroughs in people's lives in such a way they will not be able to go back to the place where they were before. So just the very least of what I asked for up there. I had it prophesied over me, Lola again, she said, you, everything is going to be beaten out before the throne of grace before you move out in ministry. She said, every time you do something, you're going to be before the throne, ask the Lord what it is he wants to do, ask him for it, and it will be there that the business will be done. So then you come down and you get on with the business and he does the business. That's why so much happens. I don't have to do anything. Hands-on ministry, forget it, it is not necessary. God is doing it himself. So the days of the ministry team, forget it. God is saying, get out of the way, let me get at my kids. <laughs> Sorts it out, it does really. Anyway, that's... <laughs> so I'm after... I'm after being a warrior. I don't think I'm there yet. The thought of it frightens the daylights out of me. The sword's too big and the armour I can't fit. But I'm going to get there. Because that is, that is my desire, is to be a warrior. And to, the prophecy over me is that I will be raising up warrior women. So watch out, girls. Mm. I don't know how that is going to take place. I don't know how, but I know there is something growing in here that will make that happen. So Ephesians 1 4 says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the earth, having predestined us to the adoption as sons. 
So at some stage, either in this life or the next, we're going to have to make it to sonship because it says here we're going to have the adoption. It doesn't say that we are predestined to be saved. We are predestined to the adoption of sons and you can read into that what you like, but holy and blameless? I believe there's a level of righteousness and holiness which comes with it, with the trust of God and the raising up to a whole new dimension of life in God and power in God. And we need to make that place in this life because when we meet him in the air we'll be changed into his image and as I said before we'll eventually all become the queers of God. But we want to become it in this life because it is that person that will really honour the heart of God. It's that person that will bring glory to God and Jesus is bringing many sons to glory. There's a place and I want to move towards it with everything in my heart. There's a place in God and we need to move up through the different levels of growth in the body of Christ. And those who are in leadership need to see, need to understand where people are in the growth spectrum and being an agitator to move them on. So you teach them to understand the ways of God, saying that this is where you are, this is what God is doing, stop fretting, stop doing this, listen, stand still under the hand of God, let him have his way, because God is preparing you for greatness, he's preparing you for something that is awesome, he's preparing you to be the huios of God, the fully mature person. I've actually prayed that God will send me leaders here in this time and that we are in in the church here that I can make some sense for them of what God is doing right. and he's honoured that um, I've seen them and I've been able to, to make sense for them of what is happening within their particular church situation because I know that God has shown me and they are going around like chickens with their neck half wrung, not understanding at all what's going on well, once they understand, it comes like a light going on. They see things completely differently. And that is, that's where you need the prophetic in the, in the church right now. They need to be listening to that. So to be trusted, we really have to teach people to put away the whole childishness thing. Be childlike, not childish. Let God govern your thoughts, your ways and your speaking. I'm always saying to people when they come under my training, sweetheart, you have two ears and one mouth, so you need to listen twice as much as you speak. There's a thing in Proverbs that says virtually along the lines of the more you spill out the mouth, the more people will see what a fool you are. Because the more that you actually speak unguarded words, the more people will hear what a dilly you are. Two ears, one mouth. Until God releases you into speaking, then what you are speaking will be spirit and life. Because when you let yourself run off at the mouth, do you realise you minister death to people? We're either ministering one thing or the other. Just ask the Lord, what do I minister to people most often? Is it life or death? Am I grumbling and complaining, backbiting, scratching, itching, striving, nagging, whatever? What am I ministering to the people that I come into contact with? It's beloved, two streams of water can't come out of the same fountain, says in James. Am I bitter water or am I sweet? Sooner or later, we've got to start getting a rain on our natural man and allowing it to come into the training. You know, they've got a menage out the back there where they train the horses and I saw one out there the other day and he got a standing martingale anybody who knows about horses will know they don't like these it the the halter is on the horse and it's done from under the chin to a brace on the chest so it keeps the horse's head down and it can't go looking anywhere because he's out in this place round and round it goes like this the only thing it can do to argue about it is to kick up and then it gets a flick on the back side with the whip. So it soon learns that it's best to just stay in this position which I don't like because it's all to do with this training process. And there's that um, lovely vision I think it's a New Zealander had 
And the first vision that he had was of a coach and six horses, beautiful things, plumes on their heads, bells on their harnesses, and he pulls, is on this coach drawn behind, and he pulls this thing to a halt. And he gets down, the horses are standing absolutely still, not a bell is making a sound. He goes between the back horse's feet and the wheels to adjust something underneath. Now if the horses had moved forward he would have been run over. Not a movement from these animals. Gets back, sits on the seat, takes up the reins and with a word, off they go. Then the scene changed and he saw two colts in a field. And the master comes and he takes the colts and he starts to train them in the ring. One of the colts didn't like this so he jumps the fence and runs off. Damn, not standing that. It's called the harness of the Lord. So he didn't like that, he runs off. But the other one submits to the training, goes round and round one way and round and round the next over the little cavaletti, which are little poles that they jump over, get the steps and just on top. And he becomes very obedient. And the days go by and he's fat and flourishing and sleek and lovely. And suddenly one day up the road comes this scraggy looking, scrawny looking, cult and he takes a look at the guy that's been left behind doing all the training who's sleek and fat and lovely and he says I went off and enjoyed myself and I'm starving and look at you you're all beautiful how did that happen and he said well I'm fed every day at my master's hand the training is not for nothing but if you jump the fence you get what you Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. <laughs> it comes back to submission. It is, it, a natural man doesn't like it. So, to be trusted, we really have to teach people uh, to put away the whole business of childishness and submit to the harness of the Lord. Let God govern your thoughts, your ways and your speaking. And it's always a battle for the mind at the end of the day. I thought I saw someone lift their hand, so I saw. We have to let God into our minds. Some of us have got minds like vacuum cleaners, you remember, about the sponge. They suck up everything, any old rubbish. And there's an old saying, you know, in Christian circles, rubbish in, rubbish out. So we have to be discerning about what we take into our thought life and our actions before God have to be led by the spirit in which way, in the way we speak as i said before james says can a fountain send forth bitter water and sweet and the answer is no we have to watch what comes out of our mouth because it's not what goes in jesus said that defiles a man but what comes out that tells us what kind of manner of person we are and if we see something wrong we need to deal with it so when the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on us, we just have to hold our hands in the air and say, strike me now. Plead guilty, as Steve Sampson used to say. Deal with it. Deal with me ruthlessly. Correct me severely. And another good rule is mind the checks. Don't come to me and tell me you felt a check and went ahead with it anyway. number of people that come to me, oh, well, I felt a check, but I went on, and now I've got... Well, the check was there to stop you doing it. So we need people around us who are going to help us in those areas. We have to begin to grow in the grace of God because when you take on board the grace of God, you take on board his faithfulness too. God is incredibly faithful. We really have to learn how to grow in grace. We have to learn grace in relationships. And as you know, Graham and his teaching, one of the most powerful things you can do is to identify the grace growers in your life. These are the people, as he would say, allowed by God to plague the life out of you. But to bring you into grace. You won't like them, but you must come to love them. <laughs> if you come to a place where you don't need them, you won't have to have them, or at least there's not as many. We come to a place where we're learning daily to submit to God, humble ourselves and resist the devil, where what God wants is the most powerful thing. And we say with Jesus, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. James 1, when you get a minute, read it, 2 to 4 and verse 12. And 1 Peter 4, 
12 to 14. And both are basically saying everything comes through testing. That's the good news. God is only testing you so he can prove the validity of what he's done in you. The whole purpose of testing and temptation is not to knock us out of our inheritance, but to bring us into it. It brings us back constantly to understanding the ways of God. The Holy Spirit is in your life is absolutely 100% dedicated to bringing you from Abba to Father, to bringing you from that baby stage, the young child stage, to adulthood, to a fully mature son. And the things that are happening in your life right now, it would be perhaps a good exercise to examine your life and be honest with yourself and say, as you said earlier on, have I ever had this lesson before? I've always found it a painful question to ask myself, but it's worth doing. Because if you're going round it again and you recognise all the signposts, it means that God's trying to say something. So understand that through the circumstances you're going through, God is maybe doing some developmental work in your heart because the Holy Spirit is absolutely itching to push you on from where you are into a more mature expression of Christ. And the more you can let God do in you, the more he moves you and the more quickly that place comes that the heavens are open. If you hear God trusts you, it's because you've stood still under the hand of God and now God's pouring something out. And he says, I'm going to make people listen to you and I'm going to give you revelation. I'm going to, going to give you anointing and a new authority, a new power, a new place. And you will see yourself and other people grow from that point on. As I said, my ambition, my desire is to see the whole church ready and um, enough mature sons to bring the whole church up. Mm. So understand that the, de the Holy Spirit is desperate to take you on from where you are. He will be to you everything you need and there is comfort for you at every stage because he's the comforter. There is grace for you because he is the grace giver. There is truth, there's revelation, there is anointing to do the will of God in the stage where you're at. Rather than being despondent about where you are, you should now thank God that you understand but understand too that there's a whole wealth of provision aimed at right where you are to take you through that level to the next one. And the Holy Spirit has been given to you as your prime helper. And he's brilliant at what he does. He's brilliant. I was saying to the girls at lunchtime, I think I need to teach sometime on the role of the Holy Spirit and his purpose in your life. Because if you don't understand, you'll never cooperate and work with him. So you have the grace of the Lord Jesus, you have the love of God and you have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and you're in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So enjoy this day, as Graham says, no matter even if I'm going to knock your block off. <laughs> even if I'm poised over your life with a hammer and chisel, have mercy on yourself and just stand still long enough for me to get a good clean swipe at it. See, if we keep running away from God all the time, all he manages to do is to chip a little bit off. If you will just stand still and let God do it, hit me really hard. As Graham used to say, hit me real bad, you know. Just get it over while I stand here. It's better that it comes off in one slice than God has to keep taking chips at it. So for myself, I don't want to be half formed. I want to be fully formed. I want to be a fully mature son whom God can trust. When we get to that place, heaven won't be held back from us. And all the dreams and aspirations in your life will begin to be realised. And I add, as my vice chairman would say, a caveat to that. Your godly dreams and God-given dreams and aspirations will be realised. The main root of it all will be that God trusts you. He trusts you. So my prayer is that every one of us will get to that place where we're trusted. And I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us all. So wherever you are, be 
just be still in your heart for a moment and come before God and don't be despondent about what he shows you but have a realistic self appraisal okay father where where am I I recognize that if it has taken me 25 or 30 years to get here it is my fault not yours because I've resisted you at every turn and I'm the one that governs the speed at which I move he brings us the fastest way we will come because his grace is there for you to do it like that if there's a yes in your heart he'll take you up the uh, path that is not the winding path that goes round and round but the one that goes from the bottom to the top and that is a hard climb but that's the way to make up time that's the way to uh, get an acceleration so when you feel where you are maybe if you're a bit disappointed with where you are let the grace of God come in but if you're feeling condemned that's the enemy they don't go with it so Father thank you thank you that you know where we are but you're not happy with where to leave us there you want to move us on and that you are in the business Father of raising up Huios and God my heart is to be a Huios Father to be a warrior Father nothing doubting nothing daunting nothing out there worrying me or frightening me because my God is so big so strong and so mighty and I know that and I live in that and I live in your place of provision that Jesus died to give me I want Lord for him to see the travail of his soul and be satisfied Father will you put that desire in every one of our hearts thank you Lord Amen Thank you so much for coming and thank you so much for being so attentive. Appreciate it.